Love the little chuckle. Hey, everybody. I'm Kimberly Adams. <laughs> Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. And that chuckle belongs to... Me, Amy Scott. <laughs> it's been a while. Hi, everybody. I'm in for Kai today. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday, October 18th. Today, we're going to do some news and get to some smiles. But first, the big news of the day, of course, is that <laughs> it's a big day for you, Amy. It's the launch of the new season for How We Survive. Woo! Crowd goes wild. Woo! Congratulations. <laughs> uh, tell us a bit about Thank what the you. listeners can expect this season. I have not seen or heard from you in like months as you've been working I on know, this. right? Our heads have been down working hard. So this season is all about water in the West and how basically we're going to keep living in places that are getting drier as the planet gets hotter. And actually, a couple of folks on your team have been helping out. Marissa and Courtney have been working as producers. Um, so we're going to be talking about basically solutions more than 20 years now into a mega drought that's been plaguing much of the West. Uh, the predictions for the future are pretty dire. Yes, California and some other places had a wet year, but it does not break the overall trend. The Colorado River, which is sort of the lifeblood of the region, has lost trillions of gallons of its flow to warming temperatures. We've been over-pumping groundwater. And yet, people keep moving to Phoenix, Las Vegas, Denver, these fast-growing metro areas that depend on a shrinking resource. And so this season, we're kind of looking at what happens when that growth butts up against the limits of nature. And lest you think it's super depressing, which, of course, it is on a, <laughs> on a deep level, um, there are actually some really interesting solutions to this problem. In some ways, I think it's a more hopeful season than we've had um, in the past. And as always on How We Survive, we have some fun exploring. I do a bunch of water taste tests around the Southwest. Um, I hope you'll check it out. Taste tests. Um, we have to get Kai on board with some of those that you've been talking about. Uh, that should be yes. fun at some point. <laughs> Definitely there is some beer involved. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, uh, what is your news for today? Okay. Um, well, you know, Paxlovid, which I'm never say I'm sure I'm saying correctly, but the antiviral therapy sure. that a lot of people have taken to treat COVID-19, um, you know, super important therapy that has helped reduce the risk of severe disease, reduce deaths and hospitalizations from COVID. So it's going commercial at the start of next year as the U.S. government winds down its pandemic purchasing agreements. Until now, Paxlovid has been provided free of charge through these programs. And today we learned how much it's going to cost on the private market. The Wall Street Journal got its hands on a letter that was sent to pharmacies and clinics today. The list price for a five-day course will be almost $1,400. And that's more than double what the federal government has been paying. So, of course, with any healthcare or drug pricing story, it's complicated. Uh, not, yeah, I mean, most it's people worth noting the list price thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Most people are not going to be paying $1,400. I was thinking it's kind of like college tuition. Basically, they set a high list price for some so that they can give big discounts to others. And health plans will negotiate that price down. So people covered by private insurance will pay much less. But, you know, for the first time, a lot of people will have to pay co-pays. Um, as part of the arrangement with the government, Pfizer says it's going to give some co-pay assistance. And... 
the company's also going to provide free of charge COVID or uh, Paxlovid for people covered by Medicare through next year and Medicaid uh, through 2028. Um, but critics say, you know, the, the list price is still an issue. They call it price gouging for a life-saving treatment and say that the high price could actually lead insurers to limit access. And, you know, it's just another example of our very complicated and, you know, profit-driven healthcare system. Yay, capitalism. Um. Yeah. <laughs> today in yay, no. capitalism. <laughs> yes, today in yay, capitalism. Um, well, I saw your story about Paxlovid, and it made me think of this other story that kind of zoomed by today. Oh, wow, that was a pun I didn't even intend to make. Uh, oh. Anyway, Amazon <laughs> pharmacy customers in College Station, Texas, uh, apparently some of them can now have their prescription medications delivered by drone. That's what the company is saying in a blog post. Um there's, oh I think, more than 500 medications, including treatments. I'm reading here from CNBC, including treatments for common conditions such as asthma and the flu. And they have the drone drop them at their doorstep. The medication will arrive in less than 60 minutes at no additional cost. And, you know, this is through fam- Amazon Pharmacy. And the drones are equipped with cameras that help them identify objects such as people as animals. And, um, you know, this is <laughs> something that has been worked on for years. I was actually just reading about a, a nursing home in uh, an assisted care facility somewhere that ha- has been working on having drones delivered to elderly patients in rural areas, uh, get the medications for them once they're discharged, especially people mm. who might have like car issues or mobi- mobility issues. I mean, so, you know, this seems like sort of a, oh, you know, doing it just to see if it can be done. But especially in a place like Texas, where a lot of people are really spread out and medical care can be far away. And I just literally did a story when the Rite Aid bankruptcy was announced the other day about how um, it's getting harder and harder for pharmacies to remain profitable. And rural areas and low-income areas are often the first to lose access to a pharmacy. And so, you know, I think we're probably going to see more of this uh, in the future. Hmm. Drone delivery. It's been coming for a yeah. while. I mean, I guess if you're going to do anything, medicine is its kind of hard to argue that. But I do worry about, like, the tr- the crowded skies, <laughs> the potential yeah. unknown, unintended consequences of this. Yeah, because medicine makes a lot of sense because a lot of it's temperature sensitive. Uh, and if you can get it delivered more quickly in a more controlled way, that might be helpful. Now, I think the airspace that they're talking about this being in, let me go back to this article. I think it's not an airspace that's used by many other things. Let's see. They're talking about between 40 meters and 120 meters in air in an airspace with minimal obstacles. Um, huh. So, yeah, there's not a ton of stuff flying around up in that particular zone. That's Although if you're ever standing like, on the ground and a drone goes whizzing over you, those things are loud. They're like super loud mosquitoes. My husband is a, an aerial photographer and I, whenever he breaks it out, I'm like, ugh, the noise. <laughs> so, but I'm cranky um, like that. <laughs> Every time I see Sabri's posts on like Instagram that have his drone oh, yeah. footage, I'm just like, wow. Like, he gets amazing footage with that stuff. They're I think beautiful. that's so impressive. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. Yeah. 
The other story that I saw just this afternoon is about this massive investment the Biden administration is saying they're going to make in the electric grid. Uh, today yeah. announcing $3.46 billion in funding to upgrade the electric grid. And this is uh, in the verge, but it's a bunch of places. And this is the largest investment to date in the grid. The money, which comes from the bipartisan infrastructure law, will go to 58 different projects across 44 states. I mean, the power grid is in, as you've done some of your own reporting on this, in pretty bad mm -hmm. shape. And especially as we seek to sort of electrify everything in order to make better use of renewable energy and to be more energy efficient because, you know, climate crisis, it's one of the things that I often hear from people when I'm reporting on it is that it's great to electrify everything, but if everybody has an electric car or better, you know, they're using electric stoves instead of gas, our grid can't necessarily handle all of that additional demand for electricity um, the way it's set up now. And so this is pretty necessary investment, um, but it'll be interesting to see how it gets rolled out. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it seems like good good news on the face of it. We <laughs> yes. certainly need At the a beginning. more reliable we'll and cleaner <laughs> grid. Yes. yes, we need it. Uh, I've been okay. so wanting to get, like, solar batteries for the house. I mean, we, you know, we've, like anyone probably in this country, we've experienced our share of blackouts. And, yeah, it's not fun. You know, knock on wood, I actually don't get all that many blackouts in D.C. because I'm pretty close to a lot of government offices. And so, A, mm. it's, a, you know, nation's capital and just seat having all these government. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the seat of power and having a lot of government infrastructure kind of scattered throughout the city that often has security needs. Uh, they, they're pretty uh, good that about keeping sense keeping the lights on. I mean, sometimes, you know, trees will come down and knock out, you know, wires and things. But for the most part, it's pretty, it's pretty solid. Um, and I'm in a part of the city where I think they've buried the lines anyway. So, okay, uh, let us do some smiles. So I was uh, on the road a lot of today. And so uh, our Washington, D.C. intern, Maya, flagged this story for me. And I also uh, saw it that one of the listeners uh, posted it online. Uh, Jonathan in Iowa flagged this as well. And this is a wonderful story that truly warmed my heart. Uh, so there was a woman in Virginia who was feeling a little low. She was feeling low because, not a little low, she was feeling a lot of low because her cat died, mm. as, you know, one does. And, you know, she went to her doctor and the doctor was checking on her. And a lot of times doctors will also ask you about your mental health, you know, in the course of the regular checkup. And I'm just going to read what this says, I was really going through a bad time, she told her doctor during an appointment in September. King mentioned that she should think about getting a new cat. When her checkup was over, he handed her a printed summary of the appointment with instructions to get a high-dose flu shot in October and a coronavirus shot in November. Then, <laughs> Sipes, uh, the woman's name, her eyes lingered at the item on the top of the list. Get a cat, the doctor wrote. <laughs> Doctor literally wrote her a prescription to get a new cat um, because, you know, he was when the Washington Post interviewed him, he said, you know, uh, that 
he he knew he knew the studies showing that pets can improve a person's mental health and help older adults and other people f- cope with feelings of loneliness and he himself had a lot of experience with animals and knew that they were warm and fuzzy this story really struck me <laughs> because i had a cat that i brought with me back from egypt when i moved back to the united states and when that cat died i was so devastated and i was talking to my therapist at the time about it and she was just like get a new cat. <laughs> I was just like, I can't possibly get a new cat. He just died. And she's like, but get it's a new the doctor's cat. orders. You have to. She, she said, it's my professional opinion that it is okay for you to get a new cat. A new cat will make you feel better. And that's how I got Jasper. Oh, goodness. And Jasper, everyone knows how great Jasper is. Jasper's Yeah, I mean, it's not great. like you can Jasper's replace the lost animal, but there is something about being around a cat that yeah, lifts the spirit, unless you're allergic, and then maybe the prescription would read, get a goldfish or something else. <laughs> or a you know, hypoallergenic cat that is still Yeah, cuddly. hairless cat. Yeah. Those are real cute. Yes. <laughs> I love that All right, story. What's... <laughs> so, All right, what's your uh, smile? Marissa Cabrera sent me this one, and thank you. Gosh, it's been a heavy uh, couple it's of weeks. It's so hard news, to find so. good news. <laughs> yeah, it's, we need our smiles right now. I mean, that's sort of why this segment exists, right? So um, mm-hmm. she she sent me the top 10 Halloween candies, according to Instacart. Uh, though I am curious, I have to say, how people who get their Halloween candy delivered might skew the results. Um Hmm. No judgment. I'm just wondering if it's, like, different than it might be for those of us who walk to the Walgreens and pick them up. Anyway, <laughs> top, the number one, won't surprise anyone, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. I think it's always in the top three. Uh, peanut M&M's, regular M&M's, Tootsie Pops. That one kind of surprised mm-hmm. me. Twizzlers, Hershey's Milk Chocolate, Sour Patch Kids, Candy Corn, Kit Kat, and finally in number 10, Starburst. So surprise Twix is on know. there. I, 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 like I that's what I Twix. said too. I was going to ask you what's missing. Twix, maybe Nestle yeah. Crunch. I feel like that shows up in a lot of pumpkins. Yeah, uh, I don't really like those. You know, really? You know what? I look. No. You can also look on Instacart by zip code, so see what's popular in your neighborhood. And um, you know Tootsie what? It's rolls so funny. <laughs> are a popular in my neighborhood, which I just can't subscribe to. I love that um, it, it was funny when I saw Tootsie Pops on the list because when I was growing up, that's such a common thing. And I look at this map and sure enough, from Missouri, Tootsie Pops is the number one. <laughs> oh, there you here go. In D- yeah, here in D.C., it's Snickers, which is interesting. Oh, that is interesting. Not a bad I candy love how bar. In, in Georgia, it's Trolley Gummy Candy. Oh, my gosh. I don't in even Florida, know what that is. Dum Dums. Trolley, it's like they're either gummy bears or gummy rings or sour hmm. things. It's like a different Clearly, quality I spend of gummies. Clearly, time in Georgia. Clearly. Uh, <laughs> dum-dums are the number one candy in Flo- in Florida. Um, jokes make themselves. Uh, Ferrero <laughs> Rocher hazelnut chocolates in Texas, which is so fancy. I love that. Who's handing out Ferrero Rocher ha- hazelnut chocolates in Texas? Wow. It's pretty high. Is that end. like statewide? I've, that does seem surprising. I mean, fancy. Look, I guess. And also in Hawaii. Huh. Okay. Okay. Well, love I'm it. sticking love with it, love it, peanut love butter it. cups. They don't have to be Reese's. I'm brand agnostic. <laughs> 
Yes. Apologies to everybody in Florida. I'm, I'm sure that the dum-dums are delicious. All right. That is it for us today. Uh, I'm going to be back tomorrow with Sam Fields. And if there's a story that you heard this week, especially if it has a great piece of audio attached to it, and you think we should include it in our Thursday show, go ahead and send it over. We are at makemesmart at marketplace.org. Also at 508, the letter U and the letter B. Did that for you, Amy. You be smart. Thank you. <laughs> Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Today's program was engineered by Drew Jostad. Our intern is Neelafar Shabandi. Ben Tolliday and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme music. Our senior producer is Marissa Cabrera. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. Have you bought your candy yet, Amy? I don't think so. I'll have to ask Alex. (laughs) He's the shopper in our family. Nice.